Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Tuesday, August the 8th. And welcome to our commentary. Just a quick uh, heads up. I have a post over at The American Thinker on Tuesday morning. You can read it at The American Thinker, or you can follow it on my blogs. I usually reprint uh, my American Thinker post on my on my personal blog. And the, the post is about the women's soccer team. Uh, the fact that this was not a very popular women's soccer team. And a lot of Americans are very angry at this team, not so much because they lost. I think, you know, teams can lose. Uh, that's the nature of sports. But it's their attitudes, their personalities. You know, you have athletes who are going overseas to represent their country who apparently don't like representing their country. And I think the, the general consensus seems to be, look, if you don't like the national anthem, if you don't like your country, you don't have to play for your country. Take off the uniform and let some other young woman play who is not only a patriotic young woman, who's not only appreciative of the, of the fact that the United States is a great country, but who will go out there and give it her best. And uh, there's great, great resentment over this uh, team. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned in my post, the Soccer Federation better take a look at this team and better take a look at how they're developing their players, not from a soccer standpoint. I don't have any beef with that. But uh, putting on the team a bunch of young women who apparently have uh, political ambitions or want to be political philosophers when nobody, nobody watches a women's soccer tournament to hear the political philosophy of one of the players. So I hope the Soccer Federation learned their lesson because, uh, you know, it's going to be a lot more difficult to get people interested in this team if you've got uh, players with attitudes like the ones that uh, the ones that we saw. So check out my post. It's over at uh, at the American Thinker. Well, you probably have been following the story, you know, ever since Governor Abbott last summer began to send migrants to New York City, to Chicago, L.A., uh, these uh, so-called sanctuary cities, ever since he started to do that, uh, the numbers have been growing and growing. And now you have a situation in New York City where the people are in rebellion over these. I mean, there's no way that the city doesn't have the resources to pay for all of this. They don't have the room. They don't have the jobs for these people. So you have people sleeping on the streets, which is, um, you know, that's a pretty bad thing to have to sleep on the streets of of New York, especially with this heat and humidity that they have in in New York. Well, another state has now thrown up the white flag, I guess, and that's the state of Massachusetts, where the Democrat governor has uh, basically declared an emergency over the migrant crisis. And they're saying, we just cannot handle this. We don't have the resources. We don't have the room. We don't have the jobs. We cannot handle this. This is a federal problem. Uh, yeah, it is a federal problem, Madam Governor. You're exactly right about that. It is a federal problem, but you're not mailing your complaint to the right place. Don't say that it's a federal problem and don't and then don't direct your criticism to the source of the problem, which is the Biden White House. I've been saying it for some time that what the Biden White House did at the border was to create what we're seeing right now, which is a, a migrant crisis across the country. I'm not even going to talk about 
you know, the situation on the border with the cartels and the fentanyl and all of that, that that's another problem. But I'm talking about just the humanitarian crisis of all of this, having these people uh, coming into the United States without jobs, without immigration. I mean, when you get a ticket that says, we're going to hear your case in five years, that's not immigration. That's not asylum. That's just insanity. So I don't know what's going to happen. But it's good to see, it's good to see that the problem is now being, or that the reaction to the problem is now coming from places like New York City, uh, Massachusetts, Chicago, Illinois, where people are saying, we can't do this, we cannot handle this. And now, hopefully, hopefully they will, you know, the Biden administration will do something about it, but don't hold your breath, don't hold your breath. They're not going to, I don't know what they're going to do about it, because frankly, there's such chaos in this administration when it comes uh, to the comes to, to the border. Well, what a mess. What a mess in Massachusetts and New York City and all these places. And what a genius move by Governor Abbott. You know, when he sent those first buses, a lot of people criticized him. But now he looks brilliant because now he's forcing Democrats to deal with the problem that we have here in Texas on the border in our cities. It's a mess. It's a mess. That's all I can tell you. And Democrats are getting it right in their face, which is uh, which is interesting to watch. It's entertaining to watch because, um, you know, I remember when they used to call Republicans in Texas racist because we didn't support sanctuary cities. Uh, well, I, I think it's all it's all coming to a head right now in in these places. Well, you may remember uh, a few months ago that the Biden administration created this program to literally forgive student debt. It went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court shot it down saying, you don't have the authority to do this. And the Biden administration came back with another proposal. Well, that has been shut down for the moment. A judge, uh, a federal judge, has stopped uh, the program as well. So I guess Biden is over too when it comes to uh, student debt uh, or student loans. And we'll see where it goes. I don't think it's going to go very far. I think if it goes any further up, the Supreme Court will kill it again because the president doesn't have the authority to uh, to to do stuff like this. This is not something that you know, the federal government or the president has the authority to do it. If anybody has the authority to do this or should do this, it's the Congress. And the Congress is not going to do anything about these uh, student loans. Hopefully, hopefully. Uh, the students who are taking these loans are starting to have second thoughts about the kind of money that they're committing themselves to. And maybe they're looking at another options like technical schools or other careers where they don't have to invest $100,000 in degrees uh, that are not going to be very productive when they graduate. So hopefully that is a unintended consequence of uh, all of this. But it's about time that we started uh, telling our young people to go to technical schools or other careers where there's a lot more jobs and a lot less uh, student debt uh, uh, along the way. President Biden is in the West uh, today promoting climate change, but climate change continues to be a loser uh, for this administration. And that's because climate change is very difficult to explain to people. Climate change is one of those abstract ideas that is very difficult to explain to people, politically, that is. Because if you're going to tell a family in Massachusetts, in Michigan, in New York, in Texas, and so on, if you're going to tell a family you're going to have to pay a lot more for your electricity, and you're going to have to pay a lot more for your gasoline so that we can meet 
some hypothetical climate change ideas, that's, politically that's a disaster, which is one of the reasons why climate change has never really taken off. It's very difficult politically to explain it to people. This is not to say that we shouldn't talk about the climate. This is not to say that there you know, isn't some climate change and some things that we may be able to do. Uh, I'm not opposed to any alternatives to fossil fuels. But what I am opposed to is passing all this cost to consumers and driving gasoline prices to crazy levels and driving the cost of heating or cooling your home to crazy levels and driving a lot of middle-class families into bankruptcy because they cannot cool their homes or heat their homes or pay for the cars or pay for the gasoline. Uh, you know, just think about this for a second. The other day I paid $3.49 to fill my tank. Now, the last month of the, of the Trump presidency, it was $2. Now, just think about that for a second. $2.349, that's about a buck and a half more per gallon. Think of the impact that that has on your family budget. When I could fill up my tank before for 30 and now it takes 50 that's about 15 to $20 that is coming out of my pocket and going into the pump. Well, that's 15 to $20 that I don't have in my budget because it went into the gasoline. And, and the same is true with other, with other things like air conditioning expenses and heating expenses um, and all of that. So uh, what can I tell you? What can I tell you? Um, well, I see somebody's praying for me and all the way up in Denton. Oh, buddy, thanks. Uh, always enjoy people who pray for me. That's uh, seriously, that's a, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to have friends who pray for you. That's a, uh, that's a good thing. Well, it was on this day in 1974, and I'm old enough to remember this one. It was on this day in 1974 that President uh, Nixon went on national television to announce that he'd be resigning the presidency the next day, effective at noon, and then Vice President Ford became president uh, the next day. And for those of us who had a chance to remember that, uh, it was a pretty historic moment. It's the only time that it's ever happened, hopefully, the only time that it will ever happen again. But I think the lesson of Watergate and the lesson of the Nixon resignation is that, that what happened then, uh, back then is that once those tapes came out, Nixon didn't have much of a defense. So there was a bipartisan agreement that Nixon was either going to be impeached or it was probably better for him to resign, which he did. And I'm glad that he did because I think it was better for the country that he resigned and we didn't have to go through all the trials and, and stuff like that. So the Nixon resignation speech about this time in the evening, back on this day in 1944, and of course it was a two-step process, Nixon resigning uh, on television and then, and then of course, uh, uh, President or Vice President Ford becoming President Ford the next day. Very exciting moment. If you have not seen this, and most of it, I suppose, it's available on YouTube or the internet or wherever you can see it. It was a very historic moment, and I'm, I guess, lucky to have been uh, around to, to see it all. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto. Dave, thanks for your thoughts, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.